When we think about peak leadership, humility, curiosity, and self-awareness are three of the things that stand out most. Our guest in this episode, a little different background than some of the others that we've had on Into the Storm Leader so far. He's a successful business owner in Albuquerque, New Mexico. His name's Harrison O'Connor, and he runs a small but growing tree care company called Legacy Tree Company. I had the pleasure of meeting Harrison down in Barbados at a conference earlier in 2023 for the Tree Care Industry Association. And within minutes of talking to him in the customs line, I knew he was somebody I connected with, I was fascinated by, and immediately pegged him as somebody that would be a great guest for this podcast. He has a lot of natural ability as a leader and some perspective that is so unique. Harrison was in a monastery. He was a Buddhist monk in Japan. Some of the discipline, technique, and practice that he took from that and has applied to his leadership is remarkable. This one we did virtually. It's the first one of that nature. So Pete, my co-host, and I uh, interviewed Harrison and pulled some of the wisdom that he's gained. And although you might not be able to relate to where he got it from, I'm positive that some of the perspectives he has and that he shares will help you strengthen your leadership as well. Because regardless of the industry, the nature of the work you're doing, leadership is about people. And he puts them first and applies all that he has learned in his life to growing his business. Welcome to Into the Storm Leaders, the no BS podcast that ignites leadership potential and sparks innovation in the ever-evolving business landscape we all work in. I'm Joe Jurek, your host, joined by my co-host and Culture Shock senior coach, Pete Hansberger. Together, we embark on a journey to uncover the strategies, mindsets, and actions that drive truly exceptional leadership and winning culture. Whether you're an emerging leader looking to level up in your career or an accomplished executive seeking fresh perspectives, join us as we uncover inspiring stories and thought-provoking insights from proven leaders and share practical takeaways that enable courageous leadership. Get ready to charge into the storm and become a catalyst for better workplace culture. Folks, welcome back to another episode of Into the Storm Leaders. Got my co-host Pete Hansberger here. We're super pumped to introduce you today and get a chance to learn more about Harrison O'Connor who is the founder, the current owner of Legacy Tree Company in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I had the pleasure of meeting he and his wife earlier this year in Barbados when we were at the Winter Management Conference. Harrison, I think we met. You're the first person I met. We were in customs. Yeah. <laughs> Coming yep. in, right? Uh, yeah, indeed. I think he's an incredibly fascinating guy. He's has great passion for the work that he does. And some experience, I was like, we got to get him on the podcast and have him share some of this stuff because Harrison, I mean it when I say you inspired me in the time together and just your take on leadership. I think it's worth sharing with others. So Harrison, welcome. Thank you. Say hi. Introduce yourself, bud. Hey, everybody. I'm glad to be on the podcast. My name is Harrison O'Connor, as Joe said, and um, just recently met Pete. So glad to be here. For sure. We're pumped to have you. We were talking before we got started. The only better place would have been, well, other than having you here with uh, New Mexico and Ohio kind of far apart. So we're doing this one virtually. But uh, since you work in tree care, can we get you up in a tree or something like that for the next one of these? And I think that'd be a cool background too. To, to set the stage, I know we talked a little bit about this ahead of time, but we like to learn from successful, accomplished business leaders. 
what peak leadership means to them, times that they've charged into difficult situations in hopes of inspiring other people that are faced with, with challenges, and just learn more about your journey uh, and kind of how you got to where you are today. So kick things off. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Tell us about Legacy Tree Company and anything that you can share with our listeners to help them get a better grasp of uh, how you spend your days. Okay, absolutely. You got it. I'm the founder of a small to medium-sized full-service tree care operation. So we take care of trees uh, in the landscape. And um, sometimes that landscape is, is residential. Sometimes it's commercial or an HOA or it's municipal. And it's uh, seemingly trending in the direction of more like state federal land. So trees need all sorts of services performed to maintain them, to protect them, to protect the people and infrastructure around them. And I started the company about four years ago. I'm also an ISA certified arborist, which is a fancy way for just saying I know a little bit about trees. <laughs> and I have 19 employees on payroll. We do about a little over $2 million worth of work. And we serve the greater Albuquerque area in New Mexico. Look like we're heading into Santa Fe, which is about an hour away in the next few months. Gotcha. And so was that, has it been a lifelong interest in trees and in that industry? Is it more of a recent thing? How'd you get into that in the first place? Yeah, you know, I've always loved nature. I studied ecology, environmental sciences and in college. And so I had the background. I studied botany. That was 13 years ago. But I was really interested in just kind of doing my own thing and being an entrepreneur. So, and then it was kind of a convenient lie. You know, I, I knew how to rock climb. There's a lot of tree climbing. It's a cool facet of, of what we do. So I knew how to rock climb. I had some Sawyer experience from wildland fire. Um, and then I knew botany and, and plant physiology from college. Hmm. So is, um, when it comes to some of that history, um, I've not been to Albuquerque myself and I don't know if Joe has, but I, I understand it's at pretty high elevation. Is that true? And is that, does that lend itself to a different style of tree or a more rugged tree than it would, you know, in other parts of the country? It absolutely does. Yeah. We're at about 5,500 feet. So a mile high, um, Denver is not the only mile high city. <laughs> the Rio Grande runs through, uh, Albuquerque. Um, and then there's a mountain, um, range that's, uh, on the other side of it. So there are a lot of trees, um, but drought is a huge component of what we do. And it's one of the reasons I was able to get my business going. Had I tried to start it in LA or Seattle, I think it would have been a very different and potentially more challenging experience. When we met Harrison, we were, it was the first time I'd been at a TCIA conference like this. And I kind of fell in love with tree care there because yeah, yeah. I, I met you, I met a lot of the other business owners and there weren't many people I talked to that were like, from the time I was a child, I knew I wanted to own a tree care company. It was more people who wanted yeah. to be an entrepreneur or did it as yeah. a second job on, on the side at first and then realized it was kind of a, a path to, uh, to freedom, to, to be your own boss, uh, but yeah. just real authentic people that were smart, that wanted to grow, wanted to learn, even if they weren't necessarily from a business ownership background, right? It was just yeah. the coolest experience, man. And that absolutely you and your wife on day one uh, really set the tone where 
you were my introduction to to folks in tree care. And since then, I've been fortunate enough to stay in touch with you and quite a few others. How'd you get into that community? Like, how'd you get introduced to TCI? And what would you say has been the value that you've taken from being a part of that? Um, so I would say I'll try and be concise. Um, but, um, and, and an adjunct thought that comes to mind, Joe is, um, that I think is worth sharing is that I, I kind of realized that I've just, I love to learn. Right. And I think that's something that all entrepreneurs, they have a, a craving or an addiction or, you know, they just want stimulation and learning and discovery and, Likewise, I love people, right? You know, they're the most fascinating thing to learn. It's kind of endless learning how to manage people, how to work with people, how to solve, how to serve people. So um, I just thought that was worth mentioning. Um, in terms of finding TCIA, like I said, I think I actually kind of was, I was interested in raising my waves. Four years ago, I was making 16 bucks an hour, you know, and I had asked my boss for a raise and he gave me a 90 cent raise and I had been, you know, busting my ass for nine months. And I was just like, this is, this is crazy, you know? And, uh, and so I, I had the kind of entrepreneurial spirit, um, and the drive just cause I wanted to have some work-life balance. You can't really have that if you if there's no upward mobility. And so I got into tree care because I wanted to, to be a business owner and, um, had the skill sets and, um, I made, you know, my month's wages in a day when my thing close to three days wow. in a row on the weekends. And I was like, you know what, if I can make my month's wages in a day, I can spend the other, you know, 28 to 29, 30 days a month learning how to run a business, which as we all know, is extremely difficult, way more complex than that little equation. But I just started knocking on doors literally. And my first service was the thing that I could provide, which was um, tree removal. You know, I knew how to cut a tree down from, um, wildland fire and um, I knew how to rock climb and my buddy taught me how to not kill myself was, you know, there's a particular climbing system, you know, climbing from mountain rescue to tree climbing, to rock climbing, there are similarities, but there are differences. And you know, he was like, this is how you don't die. Um, it's very dangerous. It's, it's I, a good place I think to start. a hundred percent. Right. And, and a good place not to end. And, uh, it's, it's one of, um, if not the most dangerous industry in the United States, you know, there's just so many gruesome ways that you can name yourself or end your life prematurely. Given my background in college, I learned about networking. I started going to a referral marketing group, BNI. And then I started kind of just putting myself out there. I met some really good people at a lo local nonprofit board meeting uh, called Think Trees New Mexico. I just asked people out for coffee, just picking their brain, kind of, you know, informational interview. I just got grilled a lot. One of the guys was like, what do you know about tree plate pruning? You know, and, I just say what I said, and then he he cut me off. He say, "You don't know shit about tree pruning." Uh, you know, I'd be like, "Oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm interested in learning." So I learned from people who had thirty years in the game, and learned more about how to climb more efficiently, and how to prune, and then started adding on services from there. And then heard TCIA, heard about the organization, and didn't didn't get connected with that organization quickly enough. Honestly, they're fantastic. Yeah, just to answer your question directly, what I've gotten from that is reassurance um, that there are people in the industry who know what they're doing and know how to guide me in a um, really efficient way toward bettering myself um, as an arborist and as a, a 
business owner of a tree care operation. Awesome. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, and I, I was, you said a word networking there that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I was curious, um, is that that interest in or that willingness to put yourself out there and network, is that something you learned in college? Was it from a class or is it something that maybe a mentor or somebody you looked up to recommended that you do? Because um, as I was thinking about it, I wish I would have done a lot more networking either in high school, college, right out of college. Uh, and it, it took until I started working with Ron, who's the founder of Culture Shock, that it was in the first week of working with him now about 10 years ago where he said, you know what, if you ever want to go meet somebody for coffee without an agenda, you know, I, yeah. I support that. If you want to get out of the office and go to coffee with somebody. And yeah, that was the awesome. first time for me that I'd really, anyone had said sure. that I could do that. So I was just like, you got to go to the office or go to the work site, stay there all day. And then you go home. And if you're going to do any sort of other stuff, it's going to be outside of work hours. And that encouragement, I, you know, then I joined a networking group shortly after that. And it wasn't BM, yeah. but you know, it was something similar to that. And that was just sort of set off this whole chain reaction where now I, yeah. you know, I don't do it for a month. I'm looking for who can I reconnect with or who's somebody that I saw on LinkedIn that's in our area that yeah. maybe I don't even know, but I want to just reach out to them and see if, you know, maybe we know some of the same people or maybe we can help each other. But like, where did that come from, from your standpoint? Honestly, I just got lucky. I kind of, I, I, I guess I was alluding to the fact that, you know, I had, I had the privilege of, you know, going to college and my folks paid for my school is really fortunate in, in that way. And so kind of just knew how to navigate um, society a little bit, even though I didn't know what I was doing at all, at all starting my business and like doing my, you know, numbers and Google Sheets. Right. And um, right. so I was just kind of wandering around and I wandered into this referral marketing group, uh, which, by the way, I, I strongly recommend, you know, they, they're they kind of talk about networking as being a skill and it absolutely is, you know, and they have a really good methodology for teaching that. And that's where I actually learned how to be a business owner. I would say it's funny. I, I this is not premeditated at all, but that's where I learned. I, le I learned from BNI. Um, and, um, just observing, right? Like I'm actually not a member right now, and, but I still, all the, just kind of watching how people interact. Cause I think, I think this gets back to what, what you're saying Pete, about, um, you know, business is really just all relations, it, relationships, right? Like, right. um, I think everything follows the, the moment, momentum of that. And so I still, I still kind of, I still don't kind of, I still definitely have a networking mind, even though I'm not in a group and I still network just like it sounds like you do, even though you're probably not in a group. Yeah. We, we talk, we talk a lot on this podcast and just in general about how, if you have a learner mindset and humility you learn, you grow, you seek out information everywhere because you're just perpetually curious. And I think that's what stood yeah. out to me most about you when we first met, where you clearly had some chops, like some experience, some wisdom about you, but you were so curious in asking good questions to me, to others that were around and, you know, just like highly relatable. I think it was that humility and the curiosity that stood out to me, man. And like I too am a curious human. So then I start to ask a little bit more about you. And I, yeah. I think one of the things that stood out most and share what you're comfortable with, but between college yeah. and that $16 an hour job, you spent yeah. some time doing some other things that it sounds like helped shape your uh, perspective a little bit, right? Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, right back at you, Joe, you know, um, in terms of uh, a kindred spirit of curiosity, I noticed that in you as well. And um, feeling pretty good about myself. So thanks for talking me up. Um, yeah, so after after college, I um, decided actually my senior year, I wanted to um, meditate full time because um, I got really into meditation. Um, sitting meditation in, in college. And, um, I was just curious, you know, if I just turn up the amplitude and do this instead of two hours a day, but 12 hours a day, what, what, what would, what's going to happen, you know? And I, I actually looking back on that, I, I think that was probably one of the wisest and most high leverage investments I made in my, in my career, because I was dealing with, you know, some of the most fundamental building blocks of, um, you know, attention and focus and concentration and, you know, um, so I ended up, um, yeah, moving into full-time, um, monastic train, Buddhist monastic training environments. I went to four different locations, three in the United States, one in Japan. Uh, uh, the last place I was at for six months was a 350 year old Rinzai Zen monastery, Buddhist monastery. And, um, yeah, it was really, it was really, really hard. I'll, I'll, if, if there was one thing I could say about it, I would, I would say that it was really hard <laughs> and, uh, uh, it honed me as a person. And how long did you spend in the monasteries? About three years and nine months. Okay. And that's a full presidency. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that is, that's another round of college too. And that's, yeah, it was, it was intense. Mm-hmm. So you, you said it was really hard. I'm curious you know, kind of what was the day-to-day like there, if you're willing to share? And yeah. you know, what, are, what are a couple of things that, that you picked up from that? Because I imagine discipline would, would have to be one of them. And you talk about sort of discuss or visualizing and, and meditating on some of the more building block fundamental, you know, pieces of life or, or career. Yeah. I mean, what, what was the day-to-day yeah. like? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I would say, well, in response to your question, I would say my life even today looks kind of similar. Gotcha. It's just very, very disciplined and very structured. I, I think I woke up this morning at like 4.40 a.m. And I, I still kind of have, a, you know, in addition to my coffee ritual, I have, you know, a, a ritual for kind of clearing my head for the day. And I do it at the end of the day for you. And um, uh, so, yeah, in, in each one of those monasteries, pretty similar. They have the kind of schedule ramps up to a, a week long, seven day long, which is way too many freaking days to be meditating. It gets it gets old after about three days, you know, and, uh, you know, 12 to 20 hours a day, you know, you're not, you're not sleeping a lot of the time. And, um, and then it kind of cools down to about four to six hours a day and you're doing more like literally just upkeep around the monastery. They're basically like nonprofits that are profitable. So, you know, you're just doing things to, you know, make sure in, in Japan, you're doing begging rounds and you're chanting and like, uh, traditional super uncomfortable uh garb of three robes that you know it's like 100 degrees out and then you're you're not um you're you're going and asking for money so in india they were they're asking for food but when it went from china to japan it it turned into now we're asking for money obviously because we live in you know the 21st century so um yeah so just like really intense you know you're not you don't have to think about money because you get like 50 bucks every two months for toothpaste or whatever. So you just get to basically focus 
on what's directly in front of you and um, take that onto the cushion. And there's a very particular breathing practice associated with that sect of Buddhism called Sasokan, which is really yogic and intense. You're um, traditionally sitting, you're sitting in full lotus, which I was doing, and that's really hard. And then you're kind of sinking your breath with your mind and it's a really physically engaged um, focus practice that you then take into, you know, everything, eating. And I remember in Japan, it's like literally from the moment you get up at like 3.30 in the morning, there's like 2,000 choreographed movements to the time when you go to bed at like 11 o'clock at night. And you, after about two, it took, takes about two and a half, three months for you to learn them. Wow. And then it's just automatic. It's just, you just get up and you bow and you prostrate and then everybody walks in a file, single file line to the hondo and they chant for two and a half hours and lotus all these sutras. You don't understand what they mean because it's all in Japanese. And, and then, um, yeah, just, you kind of get into this flow and, um, basically learn how to let go, let go of, um, tension, let go of conflict and stress. You kind of like Joe was saying, we develop this like intuition that you can then, you know, I, I've been able to apply that on a daily basis to everything I do in the business. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Right. There, yeah. There's so much to that. Like we, we talk all the time about being more intentional uh, about all that we do and seeking out opportunities to increase our self-awareness, to better understand ourselves and uh, yeah. our emotions to better communicate with others. And as leaders, that's, pretty critical right is to communicate effectively with others and release yeah you know the the stress and, and conflict and all those things that you just hit on i was going to ask about it and boom you know you kind of shared those are some of your takeaways from it yeah for i i imagine that that's a there's probably a very small percentage of tree care owners and just other business leaders who have had a similar yeah. experience like that if you could i i know you can't Surely can't do it just yeah. right, but if you could bottle it up in any sort of wisdom gained or or something that you could share yeah. from that that has been valuable. I mean, is there anything that you would with others who who didn't have that same experience, but you know can maybe yeah. relate in some other way? Absolutely, yeah. And I, and I'm I first to say that I'm not a proponent that like everybody should you know who wants to start a business should go like spend four years in a a Buddhist monastery. Like, I think we have all have our own, like what it, what it boils down to. And I, I didn't think I would be such a, like a warrior for this, like a tagline I keep going back to, but it's what's coming to mind is you're developing a relationship with yourself, like a really intimate relationship with yourself that I still need to maintain. Like I said, on a daily basis, in order for me to have a clear, I had to have a clear relationship with my employees and a, a clear relationship with our customers. And I would say by and large, like the takeaway is, um, and this is kind of gets down into, to some of the other questions that you guys prompted with, with me with prior to the, the podcast, but, um, uh, like addressing conflict, right. Going into the storm conflict is just natural, right? So it arises and then we have this choice about what to do with it. And the same is true, I think internally, or, um, even spiritually, you could say, right. Like you have a relationship with um yourself and then in, from a buddhist perspective they might say with all beings from a lakota perspective they might say uh you know i i do some sweat lodge and stuff we were just talking about that but um with uh with with all all your relations right 
Um, right. So you ha- if you can kind of clarify those more fun- fundamental relationships, then you can take care of, at least I found I can take care of my relationships as conflict arises with my employees. And that's really all I need to do. That's literally what I do on a daily basis is I get a conflict with my employee and then I just seek to understand and hear them, you know, learn more about you're, you're, oh, you're feeling angry. Why are you feeling angry? Oh, you're feeling disappointed. Why are you feeling, dis- you're feeling anxious. What are you feeling anxious about? And then it just, it's like the story kind of writes itself, right? The next steps are made self-evident. Same thing with customers. Like, hey, you guys really messed this up. Like, oh, okay, we need to change the service, you know, to address this. But in order for me to have that kind of even keel, I have to have, you know, a, a good relationship with myself and with, you know, spirit or whatever you want to call it. And then I think that that looks differently for every single person, right? So um, some people, maybe it's just going on a run in the morning, you know, other people, maybe it's just making coffee and, and reading the paper, or, you know, spending time with their kids. So. I'm interested, um, you know, to hear more about the rituals. Cause I, I know a lot of people in, you know, in the yeah. entrepreneurship space talk about yeah. the morning routine. They talk about things like yeah like that. And, you know, we've, okay, cool. we've heard yeah. business coaches talk about things like, uh, like an early yeah. morning success ritual and there's all kinds of names for them, but clarity breaks and things like that. The people step away, kind of regain center. And that. Yeah. Yeah. And one, one note I was going to make is I'll be interested to hear, you know, maybe follow up with you after your first child is born and see like, can you maintain that same morning routine or totally. does it get thrown off a little bit or are you able, yeah. you know, will you be able to apply some things from the monastery lifestyle that that help, you know, in those scenarios yeah. when sleep is at a major premium. Uh-huh. Although you've already sounds like dealt with lot, lack of sleep, you know, while while living in the in the monastery. But uh but I guess aside yeah. from that, you know, what what does that look like? What does a morning r- r- ritual look yeah. like that that maybe somebody could take away something totally. even if, you know, mm-hmm. most people are going to dive into wake up at 4:40 necessarily, but um we're also looking for, you know, additional positive habits ourselves and i'm sure everyone who's listening is too yeah well yeah and this podcast makes me sound like i've got it totally together and i'm super clean and i just am totally dialed every day and that's not the case like it is just a, a dog fight and a street fight sometimes like uh, somebody once said that to me about business like business is less strategy and more street fight and it it totally is and you're just in the trenches and with a grit and you're just you're just figuring it out on a daily basis and hustling until you don't have to do that anymore and um so yeah, I have, I have this CEO coach that I've been working with for the past year. He's been pretty amazing. He actually happens to be a Zen guy. I um, no kidding. His his company's Zen at work. His name's Paul Giotto Agostinelli, and he's a Zen master in Colorado. I work with him remotely, and he recommended I start a meditation practice. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't need to do that, you know. So part of it looks like literally like five. This morning it was twenty minutes of just literally just sitting in like a a yogic posture meditating and then i do not to freak freak all your listeners out but i do a prayer ties in this lakota tradition and it's like you're just it's it sounds really um silly um in that tradition you cut little squares of colored cotton cloth and then you put tobacco and you just tie them on the string and i have no idea why it worked but it does it like just clears my head like and I do it before I go to bed and I don't even have to necessarily have an intention. That's the kind of, the instruction is that you put the intention or, you know, the thing that's weighing on your head, you give it, you turn it over kind of like a God box or something, you know, 
put it in there and tie it. Um, there's like different directions for different colors and stuff. So it's, it's cool. But I've also found that like my, this sounds, this sounds crazy, but my kind of unconscious mind does it too. But I don't even have to like necessarily be like thinking about something. Cause sometimes I'm just, you know, uh, thrashed at the end of the day and I, I can't think straight at all, <laughs> but just doing that, I, I find it, it's almost like dreaming or going to sleep or something. Like it does something to my mind that just is immediately relieving. And then I also do a lot of like writing, I would say, and journaling kind of self-reflection and, and just like, um, and I, and I have a, a good friend that I share that with that reading with. So on There's kind of a weekly basis. There's some great stuff Very in there, cool. Harrison, because I, I think having kind of that ritualistic process, whatever it is, right? What you, you said before, you, you find each person finds what works for them. Yep. And as long as we're intentional about it, I think so often people are just day to day, week to week, you know, they're, they're kind of sitting in the passenger seat of their own car uh, and somebody else is driving in their life, right? So having that process, like when you're in a street fight. When it's a battle, you fall back yeah. to your training. Like, I, I love that Mike Tyson. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, everyone's got a good plan until they get punched in the mouth. And <laughs> when you do get punched in the mouth, you resort back to your, your training, your muscle memory. Yeah. So the fact that you, even without that, you know, process of actually, you know, tying, tying it together, uh, that your brain does that. I mean, that, that's a testament to, when we expose ourselves to different learnings, to different training and methodology and platforms and all that stuff, when you're in a high stress or tense or chaotic, conflict-rich situation, that's what we resort back to. Yeah, so I like that. Yeah, I think for we, we talk about that all the time. And you shared a yeah. couple of there that have worked for you that I, I would encourage listeners, like, always seek out perspectives right seek out experiences find what works for somebody else and even if it's not exactly you know you, you can take your own version or, or iteration of that because yeah uh, through your hard work and experiences and things like that came some some life skills some abilities to know yourself better that truly translate to you being the leader that you are for your for your team and, and for your people and that's why like Pete said he's excited to uh, circle back after, uh, you know, your, your soon-to-be child is born, you and Kayla. I'm excited for you guys as well. Congratulations, Thank by you. the way. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I'm just excited to kind of watch your journey as you go because I, I feel like you, you those things, oh, those characteristics that you've described are what I personally would find valuable in the leaders that I've worked with, right? And I think that that's something, uh, based on our conversations, it seems like you're, you're poised to continue growing this thing, an owner, or at uh, Le Legacy Tree Company. Um, Thanks, yeah. Joe. For sure. Yeah, and one, one more yeah. thing I was going to ask about, um, along, the line of, along the lines of this conversation, and, and um, you know, part of the, like, part of the, the ritual thing, and, and and just part of having having a type of routine that that you know is going to give you energy and you know it, it yeah. feels like going back to that concept of of having a relationship with yourself to me 
uh, I've noticed that the more the more happy I am with myself, that tends to be the better I show up in conflicts because I don't show up insecure and I don't show up with a lot of ego. And I was wondering if that's something that either came out of the, the monastery for you, um, or if that's you know if that's a daily practice for you to maintain that relationship with yourself. And if so, you know how do you yeah. go about doing that? And, you know, we've noticed so many clients that conflict. You know, when we're trying to mediate or we're, we're trying to coach you know, individual yeah. leaders or teams, mm-hmm. so much of it seems to come back to ego or someone has to feel like they're right or they have to have, yeah. you know, yeah. their self-esteem intact somehow. Yeah. You do that for yourself. And then is there a way that you, that you're able to, you know, lead your team in that way? Absolutely. Um, I think I have some, some pretty, um, like solid, um, takeaways that I can share, um, that have worked for me. Um, so just, uh, just to get back to the last thing that you were talking about, Joe, real quick. Um, so ca- what I was sharing before about, you know, it takes two and a half months to learn the 2000 or 3000 chronological things you do in order, right? Which you have to do everything right in Japan. Like that's kind of their culture is it's very group oriented. So I've, I've noticed just, this is like maybe two days ago. Um, cause it's not just the more morning routine for me. It's like my entire week. I love it. It's, it's maybe like crazy mundane and how organized it is but it's like very systematized even my weekends are and going to the gym you know i go three days a week i don't go four like that's too much for me i got three days a week to this like personal training place and they like totally whoop my butt and Mm -hmm. i don't have enough energy for for more than that so i've noticed that i think that this is related it's taken me a long time to like figure that out and now it's automatic right so that that's what's so nice about routine and habit is it just it just does itself. And then, um, we just can kind of be along for the ride or, you know, with my wife being pregnant, one of the most beautiful and amazing things is I just feel like I'm along for the ride, you know, and it's not just cause she's doing all the work, but it's because there's this miracle that's happening and unfolding. And I, I have no control over it. You know, I have influence over, no I control over it. So as far as kind of like takeaways, um, for a relationship with self. So another, maybe this is TMI, but just to disclose, you know, I, I do a lot of personal work, you know, not just like spiritual, but I also, I see a psychotherapist like religiously every, every week, just cause I found like, it really keep, helps to keep me even. And, and he's helped me to, and, and he's just really, he's very wise, you know, um, 70 something year old dude, really look up to him. And he, he's a strong proponent of like, if you can't accept yourself, in a situation like say heated situation you're you're not going to accept the other person right so like i think we're we're constantly in the process of like because when people call us out and they're like hey you messed up right like i think there is just this this temptation to be um rejecting them because we are in self-acceptance about the fact that we messed up i think that those are two kind of discrete things right so i think again it's a practice of of being like I'm a flawed human being and I messed up. And then, and then you, there's actually a, a, a real skill set that's separate from that. Um, and I learned this all from cognitive behavioral therapy of relating to other people. And, and there's a methodology I can share right now. It's called the five secrets of effective communication. And it's totally changed my life. And it's probably the only reason that my business is still in operation because it's, it's my go-to every time, just like you were saying, Joe, you know, it's like the SWAT team or SEALs team, like they just go back to their training. 
I go straight to this and it takes a lot of practice to get good at it, but it's, it's extremely effective at like allowing you to self accept yourself in the middle of a heated altercation where somebody's, you know, shooting on you, criticizing you. There's a way for you to kind of thread the needle of being like, you're totally right here. I'm going to ignore all this other craziness. Like, you know, one every, one in every 60 customers we get is a narcissist. And that's just because there's, you know, 2% of the population is narcissistic. (laughs) And so I can ignore this, but I can totally see eye to eye with you here and then empathize with them. I I would say like, this is kind of starting to get into the weeds a little bit, but that, that I think is, is the kind of dragging uh, piece to our culture, right? Everybody talks about the importance of organizational culture. And, and at the heart of it for us, I think it's, it's human to human connection, right? And I think that's actually probably true for every organization that's functional. Um, and we do it in conflict and we do it in real time. And I found it really helpful when, when that's happening, just as a practice in and of itself, to be able to empathize with people and, and articulate the emotions they're feeling and articulate the emotions I'm feeling and express appreciation. Those three things. Uh, you could start off by just repeating what you hear said, like the act of listening, you know, somebody mm-hmm. says something, you, you just literally repeat what they said. And then if you can, and this takes a lot, this takes a lot of skill and it, it takes time to develop this and I'm not perfect at it, but if you can articulate the emotion they're saying, they won't act out the anger because people act out anger subconsciously when consciously they're not aware that they're angry or they don't feel like they're being heard or seen. So if you can do that, then they don't have to act out the angry and let the anger and break the truck or, you know, crash the truck on accident, you know, or, you know, show up late for work. And if, you know, if you can articulate, Hey, I I could imagine that you'd be feeling really bummed. You know, I totally messed up there. You know, I, I, I forgot to follow through with the commitment I made to you. Um, if you can do those two things and then if you can share how you're feeling, because a lot of times people assume they know how we're feeling or we assume we know how others are feeling, but a lot of times we're totally wrong. In fact, I would, I would say that maybe half the time, maybe half the time we're wrong, right? So it's a really powerful just using conflicts and then using what's what's happening right there. Like you're feeling this, I'm feeling this. No, I'm not feeling that. Okay, what are you feeling? Oh, you're feeling this. Oh, that makes sense that you're feeling this, right? And then appreciating them, that has just, just doing that has been, um, it's allowed us to kind of uh, navigate the turbulence of the startup. Great stuff. It is. And that's, we have a whole w- workshop. It's one of the days in our emerging leader program around real simple communication that, you know, you just hit on so many of the points and added a few others as well. Um, one being, if you think about communication and when somebody is argumentative or uh, upset, you don't need to react to everything that they say, right? If you look at it like baseball, uh, you choose when to swing. You don't swing at every single pitch that comes <laughs> by. So, you know, you can agree with to a degree or uh, understand and kind of highlight a, a something that they did say, even if three or four or 20 of the other things, you know, didn't really connect with you. It doesn't mean you need to react emotionally to each one, but that right. confirming or clarifying understanding instead of assuming. Yeah. Boy, it, that results in so much better communication because miscommunication is often when we think we know what the other person is thinking and we don't and then we don't talk about it right so i think there's tons of wisdom and value in that uh that demonstrates like good empathy and then also just that 
um, you know, sharing appropriately as well, getting on the same page. Um, that way you can't get through the conflict. You know, and I would say there's kind of an, an, an adjacent piece to that, right? It's, you do still have to be assertive as a boss or manager or CEO. Like you do sometimes have to be a, a jerk, quote unquote, right? Like, um, and, and it's, it's kind of funny to, to think about this as the touchy feely stuff. It's like, it's what I love for. I love connecting with my employees. And then once you get through that, then you can kind of talk about logistics, right? Like seek to understand, connect with somebody. So you're on the same page. So people aren't like holding a resentment or a grudge. And then you can talk about, okay, we're going to do this differently. And, um, I've noticed that if I, if I try to switch those and do the logistics first people are going to try and, and look for that connection in that logistical conversation. So they might rebel where they otherwise, because, because they just want you to know that they're angry, right? They don't know if you're angry. So I'm going to show you how angry I am by making you angry. Right. So, um, I still am a jerk, you know, or, and I say that, um, jokingly, right? Like there's a certain edge that you have to have as a boss. And when, especially in an industry where it's extremely dangerous. You know, it's like firefighting, the army, like you want to keep people safe. And sometimes you have to like draw the line pretty firmly. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, I've noticed that this enables that effectively. Yeah. Well, we've come across a concept in the last few years called magical feedback. And it basically has the components of, you know, when giving feedback or when you have to draw a line, that's pretty firm. If you can show somebody that you care about them, you can let them know that you have high standards for them. And then number three, let them know that you believe they can reach those standards, that they have it in them. Then you can draw that line and just continue to, to keep expectations high. Because you know, sometimes yeah. even when it's, not, when it's not dangerous, you know, when it's not life and death, we still expect a certain standard or a certain level of behavior in an office. And, and a lot of times, all kinds of drama and things that don't need to happen end up happening in an office that aren't life and death, but it does cause all kinds of disruption. And, you know, now I won't talk to this person. So yeah. I'll talk to this person and ask them to talk to that person. So if we can yeah. articulate that and let people know, Hey, look, this is yeah. that, you know, I'm only telling you this because I care about you. And I have, we have these high expectations for you individually, for the office and how everything needs to run or for the, the company organization. And I believe you can do this. And so that's, therefore I'm coaching you here. Or therefore, this needs to happen and I'm going to be hard on you in this area. Um, sometimes it doesn't, you know, people don't appreciate it in the moment, but they tend to, to really appreciate it, you know, down the road, if not in the moment. And that, you know, that's, that's yeah. sort of where we're coming from with the peak leader experience conversation as well. You know, cause a lot of times somebody who was hard on me or was, you know, challenging with, for me to, to, to meet their standard when I was younger, I just think back so fondly and I'm so glad that I went through that experience now. Yeah. Um, you know, something that's coming up for me, Pete, is, um, you know, it's interesting because we all talk about what are the core values of your organization, right? Right. And part of me feels like actually, in a way, every organization has the same core values. Um, and I guess what, what's coming to mind for me as I'm listening to you is like, so one of our core values is literally integrity, you know, but I, and, um, I just got back from San Diego at another TCI industry event called the Executive Arborist Workshop. And the speaker there, I think her name is Mundy Wilson Piper. Her first name is Mundy. She's incredible. Um, just sold her business to Davy Tree um, in the past couple of years. And she said, 
you know, my business changed when I hired, fired, and rewarded based on core values. Um, I, I just let somebody go and, um, it was, it was intense, you know, but, um, I, I guess what was coming to mind is, is like, I think that's, that's kind of a non-negotiable thing <laughs> is if, if somebody has integrity or not, like if, if they have integrity, you can oftentimes find a place for them at the company, right? It, with proper coaching, training, proper expectations. But if, if they don't, um, if they're not reliable, then everything breaks down. Um, so I'm not, not sure if that's, that's super helpful, but. That aligns with uh, trust. Right. We always talk about trust being the foundation. Can I trust somebody? Uh, and integrity is a big component of that. Do you say what you're going to do? Do you follow through? Yeah. Uh, so absolutely. And, you know, when we get into core values, we've worked with a lot of organizations and our fellow team members who are US and such have kind of a process for doing so to make sure that, you know, people do a gut check and that just adds aspirational or uh, price of admission, pay to play sort of things, but that they truly differentiate or, or make uh, your, your organization unique in some way. But you're, you're right. Yeah. Like they, they need to be non-negotiable. That, that is the easiest stuff to determine. Like, hey, we're, we're not a fit. It doesn't need to come from a bad place right. of, you know, I don't like you as a human. And we can't work together. But it's just we need to be unapologetic yeah. about when somebody doesn't fit those core values because that is our brand. Yeah. That is who we are as a team and an organization, right? So Harrison, yeah, you, you start hitting well on two things there. Uh, and I, I'd love to, uh, to frame this with the question that we ask all of our guests. And I, I'm sure that that situation of letting somebody go could be considered one. We talk about storms, like into the storm. I got it. Got it on the hat yeah. on the name of the podcast, <laughs> uh, because we believe courageous leadership is at the center of healthy culture and leaders who do the uncomfortable things, the things that are seemingly yeah. uh, more painful, but resulting in a better outcome faster instead of kicking the can down the road uh, is is vital to success. So when you think about your career, your journey into entrepreneurship, and even before that, are there storms that stand out to you? And can you tell us a little bit about them, times that you did take that seemingly more uncomfortable path? Yes, absolutely. And, um, and just to riff on the last thing you said, it seems to me that organizations and people naturally gravitate toward one another, right? So then when we, when we're saying, Hey, this isn't a good fit, um, we're, we're enabling them to find something, right? So organizations, companies, businesses all have different missions, visions, values, ways of serving. And so I think, yeah, I think that that's a natural process, right? Um, and, and can be helpful to them. So some storms um, that came to mind um, starting my business, and this is kind of a something that's very unique to our industry and market. New Mexico, if you've never been, is like another country. It's a really interesting place. It, like, there's a vibe here. I think there's just so so many different native tribes. There's an energy people call it the land of enchantment, and you feel it when you cross the border from Colorado. Um, and then the way people do business here, it just it feels like. I had a different country for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, along with that, the culture, even in politics, tree care is very, very unregulated. It pretty much is completely circulated. You know, I've heard some horror stories about things that happen. Ocean never gets called. Um, trees are really, as a result, historically, trees in New Mexico have been pretty abused because 
people try and cut corners to, you know, uh, to get by, right? And um, there isn't that pressure from the market to improve necessarily in that way. And so I saw an opportunity. That's why I started my business here to do do it really right, charge premium. And I couldn't see a way of doing that because I was familiar with Tree Care in Albuquerque without having my employees sign a non-compete and a non-agreement right off the bat. And in my mind, I was like, well, I'm not going to risk my life doing tree care, which is extremely dangerous, you know, 60 feet in the air um, and teach you how to do this for you to become my competition. And so that was just a not, you know, if, if, if it wasn't signed, it was non-starter for me. Mm-hmm. And then I saw people I could, who, who could trust me and, and I got a lot of grief for doing this and we still do it. Everybody signs it, <laughs> you know? And it's probably less necessary now that we have the culture, all of, you know, it's, and, um, and I've had people break it and I probably shouldn't be saying this on a podcast, but I haven't pursued um, any kind of litigation. It's more just like, I like a handshake agreement in black and white. And it's nice that there's a little, you know, legalese. Um, but, um, I had actually, um, my, my right-hand person, my ace, um, we've had a ton of conflict over the past three years, but. Uh, since he came on board and he's like the biggest, uh, arguably the biggest asset at the company for me, um, you know, he, he was kind of like inciting, it felt like inciting a rebellion <laughs> of people who wanted to, you know, not sign the non-compete. And, you know, I'm like, I'm still cutting my teeth as a boss and not knowing really how to navigate that kind of situation or advocate for myself and stay, stand my ground be firm. And that was one of the one of the tougher situations for me getting the business off the ground. I think a, a lot of people would be inclined to yeah, take the path of least resistance there and be like, ah, I don't want to lose somebody over this, so I'm not going to do it. So yeah, I mean, kudos to you. That's Yeah, and it sounds like it to me it's interesting that the person who you would consider your biggest asset you end up having a lot of conflict with, which we do find that in a lot of healthy, you know, sort of visionary integrator relationships or the CEO and the COO or yep. the CFO yep. and the CEO you know, because those people are, are typically honest with each other. And so if you have a foundation level of trust or there's a, you know, a working relationship, mutual respect, then we do hear a lot of, a lot of conflict and, and, you know, raising of voices and things like that, but it's usually for the betterment of the organization. And, and that, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about, you know, attacking the problem, not the person and, and yeah. conflict really, it should be in existence yeah. at an organization. Cause if it's not, then you're missing the passion or you're missing the d- diverse opinions, diverse thoughts. Or, or people are holding back. Yeah. And, and aren't really sharing their, what they, right. Yeah. And that's, that's been our experience. So I'm curious if you have a similar experience and you know, if that, that type of conflict, every time you get over that or you, you get past, you know, one conflict, do you feel like that makes you stronger? Does that make the relationship yeah. stronger with that person? Absolutely. I think that's a relatable storm or, or thing that, you know, pe- people probably take the more comfortable, the easier path often and sacrifice a little bit of their brand or what they need to truly define their their company and to be to become unique. So I'm glad you didn't. Uh, that's something that hopefully resonates with people and that they can. Yeah, uh, that inspires them to be unapologetic, stay true to the things that you know uh, are important to you as a leader in your organization. What else? Are there any that come to mind? We've talked a lot about interpersonal conflict, people connecting with them, uh, and just kind of 
jumping into this business four years ago and, and growing it the way you have? Like, what's one or two other notable storms for you where you recognized it and you charged forward anyway? The next thing that comes to mind for me, um, you know, realizing, identifying, and then navigating the nature of dual relationships in the company has been kind of a, a learning curve for me. Um, I think it happened once with my wife coming into the company, um, who was at the time my girlfriend. And uh, at that point, I had the very intimate, um, you know, intelligent, emotionally intelligent relationships with a lot of these guys in a high pressure environment. And they're like, what's our boss doing bringing your girlfriend in? So that was a, a complex, really complex situation that took, you know, CEO coaches that, you know, specialize in couples working in businesses and relationship coaches and all sorts of stuff in and outside of business to navigate for me to really show up for my team. Um, it also recently manifested with our building another tier into the org chart. So now we have this kind of middle management tier of crew supervisors. And suddenly I'm their supervisor, supervisor, but I'm also, so that, that in and of itself is complex, but then I'm also their peer, right? I'm their peer because I'm a sales technician. I'm one of the main sales, salespeople at the company. And so they interact with me as a sales technician. They give me feedback. Oh, you messed this up. Oh, you need to do this better. What if you, you know, considered this? That's great. And then by the way, I want to raise in the same email or right. you know, the same correspondence. And, uh, and it, it's been an interesting thing for me to navigate because, you know, a company or an organization, even as it's growing is an organic thing and, you know, mixing personal with business. I, I don't think it has to be so cut and dry as to say like, you know, I'm not going to share at all what I did on the weekend, you know, um, I'm going to completely alienate these two things, but it is a very tricky, um, kind of dance. So. Um, I've had to learn, you know, to what extent am I comfortable, like being, you know, friends or friendly and, you know, people say your employees aren't your friends. And I totally get that. And I would say by and large, I agree with it, but, um, I think it's an oversimplification, right? Um, uh, yeah. So, um, that's probably a never ending storm too, isn't it? Or it's like you'll get through it and then it'll come yeah. back up again and you just got to keep charging through it every time you see it. I imagine every employee you you add to the team that continues that, you know, that's the next storm. And then, at, you know, at, like current employees are going to have different things happening in their lives where they're going to come back to you with, you know, so there's always that, that sort of jagged line or blurred line between uh, being, you know, I'm talking to you right now as your boss versus I'm talking to you right now as a fellow sales tech. Like that's, uh, yeah, it seems like that's I going think to be uh, probably an ongoing storm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the culture starts as the culture becomes clearer. It's like, they're getting feedback from not just you. Right. And, and there's kind of a vibe, um, you were kind of talking previously Pete, about like the integrator visionary relationship. And I think over time, you once you have that base level of foundation, there's shorthand communication and you guys, you, you know, it's like if you're climbing a mountain together and you know what your climbing partner is going to do, if you do this and you can't see them at the end of the rope, you can kind of navigate situations more efficiently. Right. I think there's, there's a lot there, right? It, and probably circles back a little bit to what you were talking about confirming understanding with, with other people and 
how when there are those storms, whether it be your business becoming a family business when it didn't start that way uh, or holding different seats in an accountability or an org chart that generally lends itself to a different sort of relationship. Like, absolutely. Uh, there's storm. It, it made me think back uh, when we met at that conference, we had Liz Weissman there talking about accidental diminishers and yeah. how leaders have these characteristics they perceive as strengths that have unintended consequences. And they don't necessarily have a good pulse of what their team feels or thinks because of how they communicate. But by having a model like that, although it's a storm, although it's something difficult you need to and address, it probably does lend itself to you having a better understanding of how your team really feels and like them being able to communicate more openly with you than they would if you were kind of in this in this tower, right? O only operating yeah. or, or interacting with them from that from that one seat. Yeah, you could board up the windows and just stay in the house, you know, during the storm. Right. <laughs> then you're not going to know yeah. how people really feel or you're going to, you know, be perceived as yeah. someone who's unapproachable or things like that. Yeah, I, I think our nervous systems are are wise, right? Like our our a lot of times we'll be feeling something and we don't know why we're feeling it. And so if somebody else can call that out and be like, "Hey, I notice you seem like a little frustrated," it it gives space for this wisdom to come up. Like, oh, they noticed something subconsciously that they weren't even aware of that was really important in terms of making a, a you know a timely decision. So it, it's a really pretty foolproof compass, I think. Awesome. So Harrison, we've talked about different experiences, different characteristics and networks and things that have helped shape who you are. How about people? You know, when we talk about peak leadership experiences and the mentors, the, the folks that we've learned the most from or that we strive to emulate, I like to ask our guests to, to share a little bit about who that person or people are. And really importantly, what characteristics stood out to you most that you've tried to weave into who you are as a leader? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I would say, you know, if you kind of looked at the the wedding photos, I got married last July and um, you would see all of them there, which is really cool. It was, it was neat. We, uh, um, we were going to get married in December and then we realized we were pregnant. So we <laughs> expedited the wedding and let everybody know you have five weeks to get here expecting nobody to come and for it to be like a little public. Well, everybody decided to come. So oh, we had great. to kind of put together a pretty, you know, a, a celebrate. We had, we had to put together a little party, but, um, yeah, it was cool. I was just, it was, it was really, um, cool for me to see all these, these men in particular, I, I've got a lot of really strong male relationships and friendships and mentors, and they were all there. And, um, and That's the first uh, time some I'm, of them had met of, each other. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them had not met each other. And honestly, some of them I had not met until like the day prior. So I, I have some really like strong relationships just through like the pandemic over the phone. Wow. Some people literally I talk to and text to every day. And, um, this kind of, I think is, is maybe useful too. It's like, as the stress comes up for me, or as I just feel like I'm losing my, my stuff, you know, throughout the day with stress, I, I like one friend in particular, he's 45, he owns a couple businesses out in Arizona and 
you know, I'm just like constantly bookending with him. Like, Hey, I'm about to do this really stressful thing. Hey, I just did this thing. It went really well. And we found it, we're both just incredibly busy. You know, he's a family man, but we, I found that to be a really uh, high leverage way to have a really beautiful relationship with somebody. Um, that's really helpful, you know, to kind of off gas stress and, and kind of navigate. So he, he's a good friend of mine. I know him from a, a, a spiritual circle. And, um, I also do among other things, a lot of men's work. Um, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with that term or if you guys, but, um, and I've, I've just met a ton of men who are just like, you know, willing to run into the own storms of their personal lives, um, through that. And they, they have been, you know, really, um, trustworthy advisors and business and otherwise. Can you give us a quick synopsis of what, what that term stands for? What, uh, for yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of an umbrella term. It's, there was like this movement of men's spirituality from, I think the nineties or something like that, um, that were really focused on men's rites of passage. So I'm actually big on that. I do a lot of volunteering for that in that capacity. Um, and basically it's like another way of talking about it is grief work. So basically, you know, coming in touch into touch with, um, man, I, I had no idea <laughs> that I was going to be speaking about this or, um, if you guys are going to edit this out, but anyways, like men's race to passage, right. The, the whole kind of way of looking at it is, um, there are traditional rites of passage in our society, in our culture for going from adolescence to manhood. And so we, we, because we've lost that ritual, um, it, it manifests in our culture and our society. And, and, um, a lot of men are missing that in their life. And so by putting them in touch with that opportunity, they can, kind of go through this natural psycho spiritual um uh rubicon where they come into touch with the wounds of their early life as as a young man and turn them into um, a blessing and really have a healthy relationship and they kind of talk about it they simplistically like a lot of times people will kind of cover up all their wounds and just try and have an ego right by wearing armor and protecting and not showing not being vulnerable Meanwhile, they're kind of bleeding out on the inside and none of that, you know, true expression of who, who they are and what, what they have going on is, is expressed or shared. And so it's a process of coming into touch with that and learning how to integrate that and live that into a functional, you know, responsible life. Gotcha. That's why we need to stay curious all the time, Joe and I, because we learn fascinating, interesting things. And, you know, I feel like when I was when I turned eighteen, somebody said, "Now you can buy cigarettes if you want them." You know, now you're a man, and there's that's right. not really a right. right. It's not really that's not yeah. really any sort of self reflection, or it's not anybody assisting you. It's not you know. Here's your lottery tickets. <laughs> your lottery tickets now. Yeah, yeah. And, it, yeah. and that's that's a really interesting point that was I'm sure a lot more prevalent in previous uh, previous histories and has been lost. So that's awesome. Yeah. Just things like Thanks. that, Harrison. One of the many reasons I was like, I, I want to have on because I, I feel like it, you've sought out, not just been exposed to, but sought out a lot of things that can be helpful for so many people. But, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll try my hardest to uh, to amplify that with this episode and to to share resources and things. So uh, in the description of, of the video, if you're listening to this right now, you can go on YouTube or uh, it, whether you're listening to this on, on Spotify or, or Apple, uh, we'll, we'll put some links to uh, some places that you can find out some more information on, on a lot of what we discussed today. Um, 
including some things about Harrison's company. So if you're in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, or surrounding areas and, you know, future state, uh, I imagine based on our conversation, sounds like you, know, you could be poised for some growth. Uh, but Harrison, I, I'd love if you tell us whether somebody has desire to be a part of your team, whether yeah. somebody wants to connect as just a, a like-minded uh, human or, or somebody that, that's a professional uh, connection or, or you've got potential clients uh, in, in commercial or, or residential uh, who might like to work with you. Tell us more yeah. about Legacy Tree Company, kind of like what makes you unique and uh, yeah. what, what your plans are for, for the future. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we've barely talked about trees and that's okay with me, but I think it's probably worth noting that we are really passionate about trees, you know, and botany and life and growing things and taking care of things. And so, um, we're all about culture and connection at my company and that's, that's what I hire on. Um, so if you're looking, if, yeah, I mean, if some of what I said resonated, resonates with you. I'm open to having a conversation. I'll leave my contact information with you guys and you feel free to share that if you want. Um, I think what makes us unique, I didn't get to talk about this either because we're in a desert, you know, things that live in the desert and thrive in the desert are highly specialized. I like to like to think about things as like, you know, like a scorpion, for instance, I think they can live like, like 40 days or something without water. Right. And they're just like poised to, to thrive and like hunt and survive in the desert. And, I kind of realized like if I want to, you know, specialize and really look at the upper end, we, we need to be something that can't be replicated. And I think that we've accomplished that and we're just working on iterating on that. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a meme that spread through social media and, um, our culture these days, pop culture, like everybody expects 10 X growth in Silicon Valley and there are externalities with that. And, um, I think that we, I've, I've come to terms as a business owner with the fact that like, if I want that, I'm going to have to compromise on some of my values and I'm not willing to do that. But I think the benefit that I get is something that's really real and authentic and can still be very profitable. So we're looking for sales techs in particular, um, sales technicians or sales arborists. And um, yeah, in particular, if you're looking for a sales job. Um, we might have one for you. Nice. Is that in person um, most of the time? Like around? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. For for the most part, at this point. Have you have you found any sort of background that's been you know other than like a strong interest in in uh, uh, trees and things of that nature? Like, is there a strong background or a skill set that you look for that you've had success in? Where you know sales salespeople sales techs have been successful in the past with you? Yeah, you know, the people who seem to thrive at our company have a diverse experience in like many different aspects of small business where they've been successful and had leadership either in sales or in operations or in, and, and related to tree care or landscaping, but then also not, you know, like that ace I was just talking to you about, um, his background's in outdoor education. He'd never like, practically started a chainsaw before I hired him three years ago. And now he's indispensable to me. Awesome. And where did legacy come from as the name? So in college, I was studying forestry among other things. And a legacy tree is one of the trees that's left standing in a clear cut. 
So it's one of the things that's supposed to kind of keep the ecosystem intact um, um, during resource extraction. Gotcha. What would you say if uh, you're being compared with a competitive tree care company? What what sets you apart, or what what makes you unique, you and your team, uh, from a client experience point of view? I think I think our passion, frankly, like we're always innovating in terms of creating new services, membership packages, um, ways to address problems that we haven't encountered before for clients and um, really just going above and beyond to get them as excited as they, as we are about their, their trees, plants, landscape. Harrison, I think, I think you shared a, a ton of wisdom, ton of real world experience uh, that, that may be a, a little different than what others have uh, in their own lives, but hopefully you can still draw parallels and uh, relate to, to, put something into action to do something a little different that can make them a you know better professional, better business leader, better entrepreneur. For the emerging leaders, so say it's first-time managers uh who are listening to this, any other words of wisdom, things that, you know, if you could go back uh to when you were first starting your career, uh, you would tell yourself that, that you think would be beneficial to know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it would be trust your gut. Um, you know, I think it's trust your gut when you're listening to people or just navigating your day and your job. Um, I think there's a lot of like adages like this is the answer, right? Like this is what you need to do. This is how to properly grow a business or a startup. And those are all conditional. But one thing that's not conditional is just our, you know, immediate lived experience. And um, that, that would be my suggestion. Awesome. Pete? Appreciate the time, man. It's super interesting story. We'd probably need another seven to eight hours, I think, if we were going to get into every, <laughs> every detail and all the nuggets of wisdom that you've got. And, and I'm sure you would say, too, like the the experiences and things you've learned probably from some of the failures in addition to a lot of the successes. But I would just say it's great to meet you. Hope, hope I get a chance to meet in person sometimes. And, yeah. uh, you know, congratulations on the success so far. And it, it, you know, I think the authenticity comes through that you care about what you do, but you're not just seeing it as just a tree company. It seems like this is a, a people organization where, you know, you get a chance to to do things you're passionate about. And it sounds like you attract people that are passionate about that, but also passionate about the culture and the way you do things. Because, you know, people can work at a number of different organizations and different industries. Um, you know, we've got other clients that, you know, a client that that just sells t-shirts and apparel and, and they're like, we're not really in the t-shirt business, so to speak. We're in the people business. We just happen to sell t-shirts. And uh, it definitely, you know, it seems like you're passionate about the tree industry as well. But the additional emphasis on the team and the culture and navigating conflict in a productive way is inspiring to us. And you're the type of person we like to talk to because we, uh, we can learn more from you than you, you can from us. Oh, I don't know about that. It's been a real pleasure. And yeah, I hope I get to meet you as well. Um, thank you guys so much for having me on. Well, you're in Ohio or we're in New Mexico, we'll, we'll connect for sure. We'll, we'll stay in touch, Harrison. And you, you made a comment earlier that they really connect with me as well. It's like, uh, it, I don't profess to be 
uh, to have it all figured out or to have it all together to be the expert in all things, right? And I, I think it's that humility uh, that that came through most and, and that I totally agree with. It's like the advantage we have is that uh, we're kind of curators. We're exposed to all these different things and have enough awareness to kind of pluck from it what what matters to be able to make it our own and share it and i, I see that in you too man so keep learning keep fig- uh keep but be be sharing of it but with others as well be uh, just recognize that uh, i think you, you definitely got uh so, some things worth talking about so thank you very much for for joining today i hope the listeners enjoyed this and harrison any, any closing remarks anything else yeah, I just really admire you guys for what you're doing. It's really clear that you're good at it and as passionate about helping people and new entrepreneurs and emerging leaders as I am about tree care. Love it. Appreciate it. Thanks Glad again, I got to meet you. Tell the wife uh, hello and congratulations again. Uh, good luck the next couple of months. We'll talk sometime soon.